This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fifteen years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not a hundred percent, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and in this podcast, we will be veering off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, as always. Elena, Aaron, Katoras, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Janice, Hammer, Katarina, Florence, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, my two Emmas, Emily, Gabrielle, Galen, Cassandra, Bree, David, John, and Judy. Thank you so much. You are so appreciated. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the story of Blanche Monnier. So Blanche was born March 1st, 1849 in Poitiers, France. So let's get into some history for that time. So this is the year that the California gold rush began after a man discovered gold near Sutter's Fort, California. Also this year, the 1849 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo ended the Mexican-American War where after giving Mexico millions of dollars, the U.S. gained approximately 500,000 square miles of territory in the west, southwest of the United States. Oh, and the Minnesota Territory was also established this year. Elizabeth Blackwell was the first woman to receive an official medical degree from the Medical Institute of Geneva, New York, this year. Henry David Thoreau published Resistance to Civil Government, later known as Civil Disobedience, this year. President James Knox Polk became the first U.S. president to have his photograph taken. We also saw this year the colony of Vancouver Island that was established. The Hungarian Revolution was still raging on, and the Russian army of 10,000 soldiers entered Transylvania in order to help the Austrians defeat the Hungarian forces. Steamboats officially began traveling from the east-west coasts of the U.S., traveling all the way down around the tip of South America. The journey took four months and 21 days, to be exact. In Madagascar, Queen Ranavalona I ordered four Christians to be burned alive with another 14 executed. 
She wanted no part of that religion, fearing her people would forsake their ancestors and traditions. Not to mention, she viewed the introduction of Christianity as a political act. The Great Famine of Ireland, also known as the Irish Potato Famine, had been going on for nearly four years at this point. The cause was a potato blight, which infected potato crops throughout Europe, but hit the heaviest in Western and Southern Ireland. There was some politics involved as well, but when is that ever not the case? About one million people died, and more than that fled the country, causing the country's population to fall by nearly 25%. Now, Denmark became a constitutional monarchy. French troops occupied Rome, and the Roman Republic surrendered. And finally, the African-American abolitionist Harriet Tubman escaped from slavery. So you see, this was the atmosphere that Blanche was born into. Her parents were Emile Monnier and Louise de Marconnet. And I've said this several times, and I'll say it again. I deeply apologize if I mispronounce the French names for things. So her father, Emile, was born in 1820, Louise in 1826. After they were married, they had their son, Marcel, who was born in 1845, Blanche, born four years later. They lived in a rather upscale neighborhood in Poitiers. Now, there really wasn't any reliable information about Blanche's beginnings or family background, so let's discuss what is known. Emile and Louise were well-respected members of society and were fairly wealthy and from old noble origins. Emile was the head of the local arts facility and amassed an impressive amount of wealth. Louise earned the, quote, Committee of Good Works Award that was given to citizens who displayed the highest of virtues for her charity projects around the city. Now, the couple were very openly loyal to French aristocracies, the royal family, and despised the French Republicans. Her brother, Marcel, was also very well-read and sometimes gave lectures at their local church in his youth. So while there's scant information about Blanche's early childhood, we do know that she was very bright, well-read, and loved books. She was described as a happy and bubbly child. Marcel was, of course, four years older than her, and there was no evidence that I could find that would indicate that he was anything other than a normal, doting big brother. There was also no evidence that Blanche was mistreated in any form or fashion. Not one source even hinted at any neglect or anything beyond normal childhood frustrations. Now, Blanche was said to be, in all sources, a stunning, beautiful young girl with large eyes and gorgeous, thick brown hair. As she came into her teens, she entered society and became a socialite, and everyone seemed to delight in her company. She was quite popular, well-mannered, even tempered or described as such, and more beautiful than ever before. Needless to say, I'm sure there was no shortage of male suitors that would have been happy to date Blanche. 
Marcel himself had gone on to school to become a lawyer and was doing pretty well for himself, though he was still living at home. And then, as Blanche went from her teens into her very early twenties, she hadn't quite settled on any one particular man to marry, as was the custom for the times by her age. And in fact, dating in the Victorian age was quite the formal affair. You need to know that people wrote books on proper etiquette first and foremost, and young people in the dating game were expected to read them. The books were there to guide them on the proper ways of handling potential romantic relationships. There were rules, such as how a man was supposed to stand beside his lady while out in public in case of verbal attacks for protection, and if his lady might have spoken something that was incorrect, well, he was encouraged to apologize on her behalf. As a lady, it was discouraged to accept any gifts from gentlemen. This was to keep women from leading men on who they were just not interested in. Men were to give their lady loves all of their attention, all of it. You were not to flirt with anyone else if you had accepted a marriage proposal, which makes sense, and there was to be zero public displays of affection. And there were a lot of other rules, but you get the gist. But then, just like that, Blanche was in love. It was 1874, and she was now 25 years old. It was 1874, and she was now 25 years old. She had met a man who was considered to be nearly too old for her, really, who was a lawyer, but did not come from money and didn't have much of his own. His name was Victor Calmille. He was a 38-year-old French Republican, 13 years her senior. Alas, he was not the rich, young, dashing aristocrat her parents had wanted for her. So, predictably, this was unacceptable, especially to her mother, who feared her daughter was edging ever closer to becoming an old maid. Now I have a lot of listeners that are not U.S. based, so if you're not familiar with the term "old maid," an old maid was a woman considered to be too old for marriage. Back then, single women over the age of really about 25 were considered old maids or spinsters, if you will, too old to marry and undesirable. And this would tarnish the perfect image her mother had so carefully maintained with society, right? Her mother forbade her to continue seeing this unacceptable man. Now, of course, Blanche tried to reason with her mother that she was, in fact, very much in love with Victor and he with her, and she didn't care that he wasn't rich or how much older he was. She wanted to be with him. She and her mother fought back and forth constantly about Blanche's relationship with Victor that she very much actually continued to pursue. When she would get together with her friends, she would be giddy, giggly, and gossip. Tell them that she still intended to marry him, that she loved him dearly, and she didn't care whether her parents approved or not. 
Some sources stated that to try to hide her continuing relationship, she would wait until her family was sleeping comfortably in their beds, so she could silently sneak downstairs and leave the house to go meet with her lover. To say the entire situation was quite scandalous doesn't even come close. You see, back then, going out on a date with a young man—well, a young lady had to have a chaperone, or at the very least, it had to be supervised. Also, both families of the man and woman would get together and work out the details to come to an agreement to see if the marriage would even be a successful one. Were they of like minds and like temperaments, comparable wealth? Would she be able to give birth safely to healthy heirs, so on and so on? It was important to both families that they were a good match on many levels. And then also during this time, we were at the peak of romance novels, and we know that she most certainly loved to read. It was true that she was a good girl for all intents and purposes, but she wanted what she wanted, and stories of fighting for love for the sake of love against all odds. Well, she most likely held those in her heart. But try as she might, she could not keep the secret of her love affair from her mother. Witnesses around town had seen the couple together, and well. We do all know how gossip travels fast. So you know, predictably, people began expecting to hear of an upcoming wedding. Closer acquaintances expected the invitation any day, but that wasn't happening. No engagement announcement. Nothing. So, as we all know, the next logical thought was that perhaps you know, side eye, side eye, Blanche was pregnant. And Louise was livid to hear these rumors. Again, she got into a fight with her daughter and told her, under no circumstances, was she to see that man ever again. End the relationship. Period. Full stop. And yet, Blanche continued to sneak out to see him, convinced that he was going to offer the proposal of marriage to her any day. So. Louise, the mother, got Marcel, the brother, involved and filled him in on what she deemed was a dire situation. Now, Marcel, who was easily influenced by his mother and who was also firmly believed in the traditions of society, told his mother that he was very aware of the fights that they had been having and was, quite frankly, shocked at how verbally vicious they had become. But. He agreed that Blanche was humiliating the family and stepping way out of bounds by sneaking out and so on. And yes, something definitely had to be done. So one night, quite late, and returning home from seeing her lover, Blanche tried to sneak back into the house. She crept upstairs silently in the darkness when she felt arms grab her. She fought against it, but her mother and brother held her fast, took her to the attic, and locked her in. This was for her own good. They told her. So provided for her in the room was a straw mattress on the floor. 
The shutters had been nailed shut to the window frame and large, heavy, dark curtains covered what light peeked through. Blanche protested as her mother told her through the door that, quite simply, as soon as she agreed to stop seeing that man completely, well, then she would be freed from the small, nine-foot by twelve-foot, almost pitch-black dark room. But love is love, and Blanche refused. And so she became a prisoner in the room, and keep in mind there was no bathroom or toilet in there. I couldn't even find whether or not she had been provided a chamber pot or anything. There was also no mention of books to pass the time, nothing, and not enough light to read them had she had books. It was said that Blanche was given water and scraps of food from beneath the door. Now, rather quickly, people began to notice that Blanche was not out and about. But again, she was from an aristocratic family, and it was assumed that she must have traveled and would be back. Life went on. One must think, though, that Victor had to have wondered what happened to his lady love, but I would suspect that he figured it was her family. But what could he do? Time passed, as time so famously does, and people began asking questions. So her mother told people that Blanche had simply disappeared in the middle of the night, feigned tears at being worried about her daughter. People consoled her and said that they would pray for her, and still, time went on. The younger crowd who would ask Marcel about his dear little sister were met with the same story. She had simply disappeared, and he hoped and prayed she would return to her family soon. Pat, pat, hmm, there, there. You see, Marcel was completely loyal to his mother and anything she said or wanted. Louise had that domineering spirit that we are all pretty familiar with in the true crime world. Now, sources actually did vary a bit, but from the ancestry sites that I use for sources, it's said that Blanche's father, Emile, died in 1879, meaning he would have been very much alive. And with Blanche being locked up in the attic in 1874, well, that meant that he had to have been alive when she was forced into that room. So others have told this story speaking about how Emile had died, leaving the family a small fortune for them to be comfortable for the rest of their lives before Blanche was put into that room. My sources say differently, but regardless, Emile indeed died in 1879 when Blanche was 30 years old at this point, still never having left that attic room. And it's not that anyone really saw her, but if they had, they would have noticed that Blanche was now alarmingly thin, surrounded by her own waist, sleeping under a filthy blanket with bugs and rats around her. As people began to ask Louise about Blanche, she then began telling people that Blanche had returned to them quite mentally ill, I'm afraid, so they had placed her within their home to take care of her. And this was actually pretty common for the times. The asylums that existed in those days were often 
cruel places where the patients were regularly abused and mistreated. So of course it makes sense that her loving mother would want her to be in the family home to be taken care of and, well, bless her heart for that. Also, side note, by very popular demand, I'm going to start investigating some of those questionable state mental health asylum, so on and so on cases. So get ready. Okay, so six years into her imprisonment, never wavering on her decision to continue to see her beloved should she ever be freed. It was at that time, unfortunately, that Victor died in 1885. And when this was learned, guess what? Blanche was still not freed. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Her mother was quite aware of his passing and yet did not open the door and set her daughter free. Blanche would have been 36 years old at this point. And really, let's think about this. If her mother had let her go after 11 years of confinement, well, the cat would have been out of the proverbial bag, as they say. So allegedly at one point, a neighbor was walking past the Monnier home one evening when he heard screams coming from within. He stated that he heard, quote, Oh God, when will they set me free? Why am I imprisoned here? I am suffering the tortures of the damned, end quote. So the next morning, he decided to pay a visit to his neighbors and ask about what he had heard. Louise explained to him that, oh my, Blanche's ever so fragile mental state had progressed into full delusions and she was so sorry. And then the years went on and on. Blanche locked in the pitch black room, surviving on very little food and surrounded again by her own human waste, rats, lice. Now, as you'd expect, the wealthy family had a housekeeper who had actually been with the family for like 25 years. When she died or retired based on the source, Louise hired two young ladies to take over the duties of the house. It was the hiring of these girls that would eventually see Blanche freed from her prison. So in 1901, it is said that an anonymous letter was received at the local police station stating that a woman was being held captive in the Monnier residence. We're pretty sure one of the two young housekeepers wrote it. But the letter said, quote, Attorney General, I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who is locked up in Madame Monnier's house, half starved and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years, in a word, in her own filth, end quote. So, of course, the police were highly skeptical because, well, that family had such a high standing in society and, and Louise had such an untarnished, impeccable charitable reputation. It was nearly impossible to believe, really. But they decided to pay a visit to the residents to follow up anyway. So sources vary, but some say they knocked on the door and no one came to answer. They supposedly could hear movement within the house and could plainly see the curtains kind of moving or shifting, indicating there was a presence in the house that knew they were there. 
Other sources say that no one would answer and they simply forced their way in. But either way, the police entered the residence. Once inside, they eventually found their way to that attic door. The smell leading up to that door was rancid, to say the least. Once inside, the absolutely horrific and appalling situation was revealed. Blanche was completely naked, skin shrink-wrapped over her bones, hiding her body and face under a disgusting blanket because what little bit of light had come through the door was far too much for her eyes to take. It was said that she was utterly terrified and acting deranged. It was revealed soon after that she only weighed 55 pounds or around 25 kilos. She was covered in rotting food and her own feces. There were bugs scurrying all about her on the bed and the floor. In fact, one policeman said, quote, The unfortunate woman was lying completely naked on a rotten straw mattress. All around her was formed a sort of crust made from excrement, fragments of meat, vegetables, fish, and rotten bread. We also saw oyster shells and bugs running across Mademoiselle Monnier's bed. The air was so unbreathable, the odor given off by the room was so rank that it was impossible for us to stay any longer to proceed with our investigation." End quote. Another policeman said, quote, we immediately gave the order to open the casement window. This was done with great difficulty. The old, dark curtains fell a heavy shower of dust. To open the shutters, it was necessary to remove them from their hinges." End quote. And where was Louise during all of this? Well, sources say she was sitting in her living room, calm and collected. Marcel was still living in his mother's home as well, and he was well into his 50s at this point. Blanche herself was now 52 years old. The authorities wrapped her in a fresh blanket, carefully carried her out of the room and straight to a local hospital. The doctors did not think that she would survive due to her severe health conditions and low weight, but thankfully she did. The nurses bathed her, and though she barely spoke, they said that she thanked them and told them how lovely it was to be clean and how thankful she was to be free. Louise and Marcel were, of course, brought into court, where Marcel testified that Blanche was, quote, an angry woman full of rage. He and his mother steadfastly believed her to be severely mentally ill, and Marcel in particular stated that only a mentally disturbed person would choose to stay in solitary confinement over just breaking off a relationship, and this was why they kept her confined after Victor had died. They even went as far as to imply that she deserved it. Marcel also testified that Blanche made no attempts to escape the small attic room, that she had accepted her fate and decided to stay. In the hospital, Blanche made absolutely no aggressive or violent actions toward her doctors or nurses. 
They described her as a calm and incredibly grateful woman. Louise at this point was in her late 70s and in failing health, but when she found out there was an angry mob outside of her house, well, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. She died 15 days after Blanche was removed from the home from a heart attack. This meant that she left Marcel with the full weight of the situation. After it was all said and done, guys, he was sentenced to a year, a little over a year in prison, but being a lawyer, he knew how to appeal and ultimately the judges, while criticizing his choices, of course, said that they found that a quote, duty of rescue did not exist in the penal code at that time, so he was set free. Blanche thankfully was able to put a little bit of weight on, which was encouraging, but she never fully recovered as anyone would expect. They diagnosed her with several things, anorexia nervosa, schizophrenia, and coprophilia, which is the arousal, if you will, from human waste. I don't know if these are all true or not. This is just what the doctors diagnosed her with back then. So she had nowhere to go and she certainly wanted no part of living with her brother. So she was admitted to a sanitarium where she lived until her death in 1913 at the age of 64. She had been freed from the room only a short 12 years. And so that's the official story. There are, as there always is, rumors that differ from what is commonly known. For example, one is that Blanche became pregnant by Victor, so her mother locked her up, Blanche gave birth in that room, and the baby was subsequently, let's say, dispatched and then buried in the garden or swiftly given away. Now, a pregnancy before marriage would have been, during those times, a huge faux pas that would have highly impacted the family's social status. So it's plausible, and if Blanche had been pregnant, I could easily believe that her mother had made this decision. I don't agree with it, but I can see it. So another theory is that Blanche actually was suffering from severe mental illness from the beginning, that she had not gone mad due to being locked in the room. Louise would not have wanted to put her daughter in an asylum and certainly wouldn't have wanted that stigma hanging over her family's pristine reputation. Marcel even testified that Blanche had been displaying signs of mental illness at 23 years old, two years before she was confined to the room. He also had said that she could have left the room but refused to. So there's that and some sources said that Louise had stated in her will that her entire fortune would go to her daughter. Still others said that ample food was offered to Blanche and she simply refused to eat. My thoughts are that this is a horrific story no matter what angle you look at it from. I think we all understand the social pressures of that day to have the perfect life and the perfect children who behaved well, perfectly. Blanche's parents were hardcore loyalists to the royals and Victor was a French Republican. All of this I can understand. 
and they didn't want their daughter to marry a man who very well might not have been able to provide for her in the manner that she was accustomed to. Fine. But locking her in a room with no light able to come through, having to lay in her own filth with insects and rats crawling all around her and so on, no. There is no excuse for that. Had she been pregnant, her mother could have sent her off on a retreat or to visit distant relatives as they did during those instances like normal families do and had her baby in private. Or if she were that mentally ill, her mother should have sought out help for her daughter, period. So tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below if you're watching, or you can DM me on Serial underscore Killing on Instagram. You can email me at SerialKillingInstagram at gmail.com. Consider becoming a patron. And as always, thank you so much for listening, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so, so much, guys, and have a great day.